I'm Matt Garrow-Fisher, and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week, I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects, and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. In this episode, I talk to Matt Harry, who's the founder and chief investment officer of Cloud Break Asset Management, one of Australia's first digital asset investment management companies. He was also the fastest Australian to swim the English Channel back in 2013, raising $30,000 for mental health research in doing so. This interview is super inspiring because of the epic journey Matt took to get there and the reason why mental health research meant so much to him. Around 15 years prior to swimming the channel, Matt's life was in a very different place. Living in King's Cross, Sydney, Matt was a daily heroin user, living in a one-bedroom flat with three other users. This fascinating interview is an inspiring story of how Matt made huge changes in his life to shift to brand new life and career paths, battling tough transitions and winning. In this episode, we discuss how to change a life path that is moving in a downward spiral, how to battle through difficulties in any transition, networking directly to get a job or find a business partner using your childhood dreams to find your next career and life paths. What Matt would advise his son about how to choose a career and a crucial belief many people neglect when pursuing new careers. And one thing that's made the biggest difference for Matt to burn from within now. I won't say any more, just listen to this incredible story, take notes and let me know what lessons you took from this for your own life and career. The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. Yeah, about 20 years ago now, around around 15 years prior to swimming the channel. Um, yeah. It was probably when things were at their worst for me personally in Sydney. So I guess I had left a number of issues from my childhood unresolved going into my going into my 20s and that kind of led me down a fairly dark path where I ended up sad to say but not ashamed becoming a daily drug user. I was living in Darlinghurst Road in in Kings Cross which is a main nightclub strip club prostitute strip in Sydney at the time. I was living there with, with three other drug users in a one-bedroom flat uh, next door to a strip club. My bed was a, a surfboard cover because I'd sold my surfboards by that point. I'd stopped surfing, which is something that I'd been doing for about 10 years at that stage, but I'd stopped surfing. So I was sleeping on a surfboard cover on a, on a linoleum floor in a kitchen with a sheet pinned to the roof, basically. And we're right next door to a strip club and basically everyone in our building was doing drugs so much so that you'd hear the, the needles being thrown out of the windows above and going ching and landing on the, the little shed out the back of the strip club on the roof. Over a few days, the, the top of the shed would get all covered in needles and then the rains would come and, and wash them away. The whole thing was, yeah, it was pretty grim and 
I was working in a couple of cafes that were owned by a, a drug dealer. I never got involved in, in that side of things. I was just a drug user, but that meant that I had access to cheap and, and often free drugs, which really is not a, that's not a great thing for a kid who's lost his way to be in that surrounding. So yeah, things, things went a little bit down a, down a pretty dark path for me at that stage in my life. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty difficult time. And, and also like an environment that it's almost a vicious cycle. You're in that environment. Everyone is doing the same thing as you. And it must be pretty almost impossible to get out of. What were the kind of first steps that you took to, to start to change? Like what prompted you to change? Cause that could be a lifelong thing. Yeah, you're right. And I, I often look back and there were some kind of pivotal moments that could have taken me even deeper and often look back and consider myself quite lucky to be alive to be honest and certainly some of the people that I was with at the time many of them have just disappeared I know of a couple who suffer still suffer quite serious mental health issues as a result of those days but I've lost contact with everyone and I lost contact on purpose because as you say when you're surrounded by that type of environment and those type of people it's very difficult to drag yourself out let alone your own mental state at the time even to isolate yourself in that mental state and try and drag yourself out is very difficult without those influences around you but as Arnold Schwarzenegger likes to say there's no such thing as a self-made man you always rely on people along the way and uh, a very good mate of mine ran into me in Sydney and I invited him to my house I'd known uh, this guy Bacon for maybe 10 years at the time I mean, he'd been through university and done quite well and he'd gone on to live in London and been paid quite well and he had a career and he was a smart guy and his life was together and straight off the set of friends in the 90s, basically. But he ran into me, I ran into him in Sydney and I invited him over to my place one night and he came over and I could tell that he was was pretty quiet and a little bit, I thought he was just thinking, oh, Matt's blown it, he's a completely lost cause kind of thing. We spent a couple of hours together and he left. And the next day, I opened my front door and there was a book there called The Jeff Hackman Story. And it's about a guy that was an elite surfer back in the 70s and 80s, Jeff Hackman, who lost his way with heroin. And Bacon... He never tried to pull me up directly, but he sat this door, this book on my doorstep and I've still got it and I've still got the little card that was inside the front cover. And all the little card said was, has your too good for King's Cross bacon? And that was it. And that kind of started, just started the germination of something. I remember might have been a couple of weeks after that, just waking up one night at 4, 4, 5.30, 5, 4.30 in the morning, something, and just sitting bolt upright on my on my surfboard cover on the linoleum floor and just looking around myself and just going, how did I, what happened? I like, what, what happened here? I was a smart kid. I had everything in front of me. I've got a great family. How, how did I end up here? I never expected my life to look like this at this stage. And it really started to, really started me thinking. And then fortunately or unfortunately, well, in hindsight, I guess it was uh, quite fortunate. I met this uh, French girl who was also an absolute mess and a, and a regular drug taker, probably not quite on the same level as myself and the other people I was hanging around with. But I started a relationship with her and I, I moved in with her. She had a place in King's Cross as well, uh, moved in there, had a little bit more space, but it wasn't that much better. 
anyway, it turned out that she just was cheating on me with everyone behind my back and obviously this was a pretty heartbreaking thing for me to have to find out but it just the two things with my mate kind of going you're too good for king's cross and then this blow up with this french girl and finding out that everyone was doing everything behind my back i just went you know what do you expect mate like these are the people you're with this is your environment this is your lot in life unless things change and that gave me the the impetus to commence the commence the journey back so I returned to returned to Melbourne and went under the wing of my family and some friends and stayed on a mate's couch for three or four months full of anxiety as I came off drugs and, and we started working our way back from there. Wow so it was like a, your friend was almost trying to pull you out of that situation and then the relationship with the with your, your French girlfriend was pushing you out as well at the same time so it was a a double catalyst to really to have that realization and the realization on the floor on the kitchen floor of what am I doing how did you know that you had to get out of that situation was there any other kind of realizations or was that was that the one that was like I'm changing now yeah that was it because I just saw my life just disappearing before my eyes I thought this is what my life is this is all I'm going to get these are the people I'm with there is nothing else it just goes downhill even further from here and despite having some things that were troubling me from my childhood I did have a very close and strong immediate family around me that very loving environment that I could that I could fall back on and rely on everything involves an element of luck and I think the fact that these kind of things happened around the same time with the visit from a friend giving me the nudge and this French woman uh, the relationship with this French woman completely blowing up I think I was I think it was lucky that it all crystallized during the same period and I just hit rock bottom and I just there was nowhere else to go it was stay at rock bottom or change something so I just had to leave everyone I left everyone I just dumped them all. I just threw it in a steaming heap in Sydney and I just left my life. And I came back here and I started to slowly pick up the pieces. And over the years, that gained momentum and and turned into something else entirely. But the beginning of it was a very small step, one drastic step, but then a very slow rebuild would be the way to put it. Yeah, I've interviewed quite a few people that have made big changes in their life, whether it's career changes or life changes, lifestyle changes. And one of the common things I, I've noticed is people, they tend to start projecting into the future and realizing if I carry on this path, this is what's going to happen. And when they realize that, when they realize that it's, it's like a downward spiral or a path they don't want to be on and they have that realization, that's the prompt for change. But, but it's often when they, they come to a threshold of pain psychological pain or men- mental pain that 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 realization is forced and then they start thinking about their future and the you know, i've got to get off this path do, do you relate to that structure as well yeah absolutely and i think one of the things for me obviously totally that point was totally rock bottom but i guess i've always been a very passionate person even as a kid and i had i had really vivid or compelling dreams, not in the dream in the nighttime sense, but as a child, I had dreams for what I wanted to do with my life that I really held onto quite 
tightly and fantasized about and all the things I'd do and be as an adult. And they lived in me in quite a rich, a rich space. And when I reached that point of completely being at rock bottom and with all of those dreams still in your head, it was just this horrible realization that not necessarily a horrible realization that I'd blown it, but certainly a realization that none of those things are going to happen unless I make change. So let's talk about you're back with your family. You're, you're starting to rebuild your life. So yeah, I moved back to Melbourne and started looking around to try and find some work. And I moved in with a mate in, in Thornbury and basically spent four months on his couch, just sweating, full of anxiety, struggling even to go outside at that point. Um, wow. Eventually got to work in a cafe in, in Brunswick Street and applied to some universities to get back into mature age study. And I got accepted by by VUT, Victoria University, and went out there and uh, did a did a four year degree in international trade and marketing, a Bachelor of Business degree. Uh, through this period, my mental health is really still not great, but I'm just I'm just forging on with putting some some structure in place, I suppose, and some things that I can fall back on for to rebuild my life on. So I finished. I did quite well in that degree and and topped several of my classes. So I basically walked straight into a, a trainee currency traders role on the wholesale currency trading desk at ANZ in Melbourne. So I got an amazing job straight out of university. But the problem was I was still the mental health side of things for me at that point had never been worse. And in that environment, it just magnified things as well. I, I had such a the anxiety was so intense that it felt like almost like I was floating all day. Like I just felt like I was floating on these endless waves of anxiety where I'd I'd really launch up into this like high anxiety, totally red face, sweat dripping off me. On occasion, I remember one occasion, someone called out something to me across the dealing room and I was supposed to provide some information that I literally just could not get out my mouth. I was so highly anxious, I was mute. And that's just, oh God, that's so humiliating in a room of 120 quite aggressive financial traders and, and dealers to be sat there with sweat dripping off the end of your nose, <laughs> not being able to say anything. Just, it was absolutely brutal. Every day I had to choose to go in there and face it. But I just felt that, yeah, if I quit my work and I went and hid in my bedroom or went to alcohol or went to drugs or whatever, the world just would have closed in around me. So I had no choice but to just to stand and fight. That's what I did. I rocked up every day. I made a point of if I was feeling extra anxious and I had the sweats and all that sort of stuff and someone was talking to me from across the room, I'd stand up and I'd stand up straight and I'd talk to them, even though I'd be sweating and I'd be so anxious, but I would just put myself as far out there as I possibly could and just face the discomfort head on because I just didn't want the world to squeeze in around me and bury me. So it was a very unpleasant time in my life at that point until I found sport again, which was what took me through to the next level. And how did you find sport again? What, what was the, where did the opportunity come from? I was down on the beach at Lawn. We've got a, an open water swim 
here in Victoria called the Lawn Peter Pub, and it's the largest open water swim by number of competitors around the world. And it's just, it's a magnificent race. I've, I've become completely obsessed with it. I love it. Um, at this stage, I had never competed back in whenever this was, 2007 or eight or something. I was on the beach one year and my mate's wife ran up the beach in and got a podium finish in the Peter pub and I just I was it just the whole thing just resonated with me I was just like I cannot believe out of that many competitors Liv has just hit the podium and I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it now it just made me go I want to do that I was fat I was unfit I had horrible mental health and I was having a horrible time at work and I thought this is it this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on. I'm going to get on the podium at the Peter Pub, and so I started to train, and I trained hard. I trained really hard, up to seven sessions a week in the pool, two or three times in the gym. Put myself in any body of water that I could, and I trained until I was blue with exhaustion, and just slowly that dragged me out of this mental health malaise, I guess you would call it, that I was in, this nightmare that I was that I was facing. It was just a I'm a huge believer in uh, healthy body, healthy mind, not as a completely, and not as a rule that never fails. I think if you've been an elite athlete and you come out of that with mental health issues, I think it, it, the situation becomes even more complex. But as a normal everyday person, if you haven't really trained hard in any type of sport and really pushed your body, I think there's a there's an amazing ability for sport to play a huge part in recovery for for people suffering mental health so my whole thing was at the time I didn't want to I didn't want to do this training I didn't feel like doing the training even though the goal really spoke to me but I just at the start I just forced my body to do what my mind didn't want it to do until I developed momentum and once you develop momentum with such things and if it's fueled by real passion and it's fueled by a massive failure, which is what I would call my 20s and the subsequent issues that I had, a massive failure that adds a lot of fuel to the fire for, for these kind of things. And the whole thing developed into a bit of a beast that had a lot of moment, a lot of momentum. And when, when a beast gets up a bit of inertia, it can be tricky to stop it. So we got a bit of a roll on for a few years and that's, and that's what we did. And really, I suppose, reclaimed my mental health. And that was what that was what led me to the channel and the fundraising side of things for the channel as well. Yeah, I think just an observation as you're speaking, uh, taking yourself back to when you were in the bank and the anxiety and the sweating and you couldn't, you went mute when you had to give information, but you still carried on. You were, t- you were just battling on and battling on. And, and I think I was going to say it's your mind went back to that time in Sydney when you were in that dark place on drugs in a in an environment you didn't want to be in and you said I had no choice I had to battle on and it was it's almost the same with getting through this you were out of shape it was really tough to go regularly into the gym and and train for this competition but the mentality was there is no choice I don't want to go back to this dark place again and that was, all, like you said, it was a fuel. Do you think that without that dark time in your life, you wouldn't have achieved some of the things you've done? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's been the greatest gift 
of all time. You know, it's given me the fuel. I've, I've sat there and I've seen everyone succeed around me while I've been a daily drug user sleeping on a surfboard cover and just I've felt the burn. I've fa- I failed hard and, and now everything I do, I want to succeed and I want to do it well. And as far as the, the no choice to push through, at the end of the day, this is, this is your journey. It's no one else's journey. And the fact that I used to put myself up there and even almost encourage the spotlight when I was having issues in the bank, it's about how you approach your challenges rather than being focused on the outside world and how it sees you. Because at the end of the day, what I used to tell myself was, most of these people are just passing faces in the parade. This is my life and they'll come in and they'll move on and they won't mean anything in my life. But I have to deal with what is going on for me. And if I worry about what they think of me, I'm not going to deal with what what I need to deal with for me. So just let them drift by in your life and just front up and do what you need to do every day to move forward on your own journey. So that's what that bit was about but definitely yeah the mental strength and everything comes from that a lot of it comes from that massive failure to push forward and and to achieve things and when you feel like there's that there's not even a wall behind you there's a deep dark pit behind you you feel pretty compelled to to keep pushing forward and, and to stay away from that pit and the I felt pretty quickly once I started the training I started to feel changes in my mental health it was within a couple of months not everything overnight and it, it went on for several years but I started to see changes pretty quickly because I was training hard and I actually met another guy and I don't have his permission to name him but so we'll just call him Ralphie and Ralphie had suffered from schizophrenia for much of his life and he had come up with a, a holistic training plan to try and recover or improve his mental health and his plan revolved around running and ultra-endurance running. And basically, he would run until the voices in his head fell silent. And he had an amazing amount of success with this, so much he considered himself to no longer be schizophrenic. And he had been spending a bit of time on the speaking circuit, going around talking to doctors and professors and at functions for universities and stuff like that. So I had some other evidence early on in my sport-based or exercise-based recovery program that this type of stuff actually does work and I just wanted it so bad I wanted to be I wanted to be back I wanted to be fit I wanted to be strong I wanted to fulfill the the ambition that I had as a child and fulfill what I believed was a huge amount of potential that I have so it just took on a bit of a life of its own and once something gets rolling it it does it it builds up momentum and everything in this world is subject to the forces of nature including inertia and once something gets rolling it really takes on a life of its own and that's what happened in this regard i'm quite interested about what your ambitions or dreams or passions were as a child and how that shaped where you are now if you take yourself back to I don't know, maybe when you're eight, maybe when you're four, maybe when you're 13, but where you remember something that you might have wanted to do or an area of life that you might might have wanted to explore or be or have as an actor. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because I'm smiling right now because I think of this often and like I I remember really 
quite vividly, I swam as a child until I was from about seven to 12. And I got to the point where I was winning the local overall championships, but we were in the country. So the nearest club was too far away for us to get to before to go to the next level of swimming to get to before school. So we, I stopped swimming around 12 or 13, but I really wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. I remember that. One of the other things I wanted to be as a child and well into my late teens was a surfer. And another thing that I wanted to be, my biggest ambition in terms of career was to become a stockbroker when I was a teenager. I wanted the flash. I liked the, how dynamic markets are. I wanted to make some cash. I wanted to be amongst the action and the big numbers and all the exciting stuff that goes with that. Now, I look at, I look at my life now and I'm pretty close to having those things signed off on, even though I haven't done everything that I wanted, particularly with the the career side of things. But in terms of the Olympic swimming, yeah, I didn't get to the Olympics, but I was the quickest Australian to swim across the English Channel in 2013. And I raised $30,000 for mental health research in doing so. Wow. Yeah, the, the becoming a surfer thing, that became something that also was part of my recovery and I, I surfed a lot and I'd surfed in my late teens, early 20s. But after I turned 40, I took a year and a half off work and I went and chased big waves all around the world and I just surfed full time. And I learned to free dive to over 100 foot. I learned to hold my breath for four and a half minutes and I traveled around the world and I chased big waves like this dream that I had from when I was a kid. So I got the Olympics, I got the surfing. And I kind of got the stockbroking thing. I created my own business. I'm a fund manager. I've still got a, a lot of ambition around the career thing because that's been the, the last part of what I've picked up on again. But I know I'm heading in the right direction and I'm slowly getting from life what I want. So it's, yeah, it's cool to look back and go, what did I want? Oh, that's right. All of these things that I've been working towards and really focusing on and getting some really damn good results in. I haven't changed much. I, w- I went off the rails for a while, but I haven't changed much. And I'm back and I've got some momentum and, and my brain's back and my my passion's back. And it's exciting to see these things coming to fruition in your life. And it's exciting to still have many of them ahead to still do. And it's pretty rare to have childhood dreams and ambitions come to fruition. It's not always the case that you you do exactly what you dreamt of, but you're on the path and you're competing at pretty high levels as well in all of those areas. So that is fascinating and amazing as well. The beautiful part about life is that you can choose any day to reinvent yourself. You can choose any day to do something, to live out a dream. Like you might be 50 years old and yet you're not going to win a gold medal at the Olympics in the marathon. But you can become one of the top marathon runners for your age at an age group level around the planet if that's what you want to do. You can still do things at an elite level for where you're at in your life and derive a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of them. I think you've just got to have the you've just got to have the courage to do things differently and to hear people going, what are you mucking around doing that for? And just go, Yeah, that's fine. You might think I'm mucking around, but this is the way I'm gonna do it. It might not look the way you would do it. It might not be the traditional way to do it, but you've got to find the way to do it that works for you. And once you find that, you can tick anything off on your list and you can create something new tomorrow and chase it down and you can get it. It's a wonderful adventure. It's all there. It's all there for you. 
what I'm observing is that that you like a challenge. You saw your friend get the podium at that race and you thought, I want to do that. And that was setting yourself a challenge. That challenge of swimming the English Channel is something else. That's something that not many human beings do. Where did that come from? Why was it important to you to do it? And how did you achieve the time that you did, given that you weren't necessarily an Olympic swimmer? You're in very good shape, but tell me more about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah the training was pretty brutal. I did two. I'd actually been training for the World Age Group World Championships in Italy in 2012. So I was focused on that, but once that was out of the way, I had about, I think, 18 months to get to the channel, but I was already doing pretty high volumes. But the brutal part of it was the two winters in the bay in Melbourne with nothing but Speedos, a cap and goggles, no wetsuit to acclimate to cold water. (laughs) Oh, mate, I can't, seriously, I can't tell you how miserable you are when your alarm goes off at 5 a.m. on a Friday morning it's the middle of winter, air temperature's four degrees, water temperature's nine degrees, that's howling wind and raining outside and you've got to drag your bones out from under your doona, put your speedos on and a little blinking light on the back of your head and go, go <laughs> and throw yourself in the ocean and swim around in circles for an hour. It is absolutely brutal. But you do that and you do the, the ugly things in training and then it doesn't matter what comes during the swim and you're going to be successful. But for me, the sw- swimming, the channel, it's the swimmer's Everest. I don't want to, if, we're going to get, if I'm going to aim for something in swimming, I, I want to aim for Everest. If I'm going to aim for something with surfing, I want to aim to get barreled in the biggest possible wave I can and but make sure I do it safely by doing all the training to hold my breath for four and a half minutes and all this sort of stuff. And if I run a fund or if I create a business, I want to, I don't want to, million dollar business or a hundred million dollar business that's why not other people are doing all those things why not me why not you where do you think that comes from there's that's a level of ambition that's that's, i would say it's not common but there's also on top of that a level of self-belief as well that that you really can do this where does it come from where does the self-belief come from ambition and belief look i just think it's all based in the fact that I treat life as a giant adventure and I look around me and I go, yeah, that person's just a person. They're not made out of steel or they don't have a computer for a brain. Some people do, but you know, they're just, they're flesh and bone like me. If they're doing it, I can do it. Any of this stuff in the world that I look at, I can do. I just have to realize that there's going to be a price. There's going to be a a certain amount of work and discomfort and sacrifice that comes along with anything of great value and once you accept that and you see the the direct link between the work and the result life becomes a whole lot easier and more interesting and you feel more confident to take on those challenges as i say if if the guy next door is doing it i can do it too it's really that simple now before we talk about you setting up one of australia's first digital asset investment management companies I wanted to find out more about your motivation. Where does it come from? Because it seems like you battle through tough challenges, waking up, putting your speedos on at, at stupid o'clock in the morning for training, and you're doing this yeah. in different areas of your life. 
are you self-motivated? Is it, do you have like mentors or people that kind of encourage you and support you in this? Like, where does that come from? I'm what you would call, not by, not in terms of socially, but I'm what you would call a, an introvert in that internally, internally fueled. I just, I, I live life with daily recognition of the fact that I'm going to die. It's that simple. I'm going to die one day. And if I have the luxury of laying down on my deathbed and reflecting on my life, I want to know that I absolutely shook every bit of fruit from the tree, (laughs) any tree that was around me that I could, and that I really lived my best life and that I really had a go at things. I didn't sit at the back of the room and wait for the bird of paradise to fly up my nose. I got out there and I put in the work and I got the job done and I lived an amazing life and I've got and I I can lay down with a smile on my face and I can drift off peacefully if that's if that's what happens but yeah I've got look I've got people around me who I look to in different fields I don't have any official or structured mentors as such but I do have accomplished people in many of the fields that I play in or that I have ambition in that I speak to regularly and and make sure that I'm connecting with and exchanging ideas but for the most part yeah my desire to do big things comes from the fact that this is a playground and we've only got if you live five years you live 95 years you still get a lifetime and you can do a lot in a lifetime and I don't want to leave any stone unturned it's that simple. That's so interesting you said Uh, is is it like a daily ritual or practice or something that just pops in your head when you say that you live life like you're going to die I'm going to die but how does that work for you in your mind that's something that I bring to the front of my mind if ever I doubt myself or if ever I'm scared of doing something or if ever I think oh no I can't do that I'm not ready for that I just say to myself you know what you're going to die None of it matters. Just do it. And it just, it really, for me, it just frees me up to go, to be able to put things into perspective and go, yeah, who cares? Like, I'm having a go. I want to do this thing, so I'm going to do it. Wow. That's giving me chills. Just um, just even realizing and taking in that concept. It's pretty incredible. It is really powerful. Like, people, some people don't cut quite get it and they think that oh, you've been a bit negative aren't you but it's, I'm actually not being negative I'm just being real with myself and saying hey the clock's ticking here this is my adventure I'm not going to sit down quietly I'm not going to say oh no I can't swim the channel or no I can't go and surf big waves or no I can't have a hundred million dollar business I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try my ass off to get everything I want because it's not a rehearsal completely you only get one life right yeah Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about Outbreak Asset Management and the step from working in a bank and in, as an FX consultant, treasury management, but then founding your own company, not just your own company, but it's one of Australia's first digital asset management investment companies. Where did that come from? That's quite an ambitious thing. It's, it's quite brave. How did you get the inspiration to, first of all, to go into that area. Second of yeah. all, the audacity to to create your own asset management company, and and thirdly, well, almost be a pioneer, particularly in Australia, in that field. Like, where did that come from? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was quite funny actually. While I was away surfing, I had I very much was had this idea that I wanted to create a company and work for myself when I came home. And so I was talking to a lot of people along the way about what their businesses were and what they did, and just filtering through and just digging around in ideas. And on the way back to Australia, I went to the US to check out some people's businesses, some entrepreneurs that I'd met while I was away, and I went over there to check out their businesses. And while I was in Austin, Texas, I saw that Bitcoin was being used where you could pay for takeaway in quite a few takeaway food outlets with Bitcoin. And I'd been following it, having a currency trading background for a couple of years, but I started to think, oh, okay, maybe this thing's, maybe this thing's about to happen. It seems to be there's this, something's going on here. So I came back to Australia and, and researched it a little bit more and I found out who the sort of top guy in Australia was at the time, the guy that was running Australia's largest Bitcoin exchange by volume. I think they were making about $6 million in revenue or something. It wasn't a massive business, but it was big enough and they were the biggest in Australia at the time. And I contacted them to see if they had any work and they didn't have any work. or like It was through a recruiter actually. And the recruiter said, oh, the CEO doesn't want to see you, blah, blah, blah. You got great experience, but they're not looking to hire anyone. I thought, I'll bugger this. And I, so I Googled him and I found out that he was, that he was hosting an event I put my best threads on and I went down there and ambushed him at this event and just said, look, this is what I've got. This is what I can do. This is what you can do. How about we get together tomorrow and discuss some ideas? And he invited me into the office the following day and we threw some ideas around and we came up with the idea of starting the fund and the rest is history. So yeah, just found the best guys at the time and, and ran in that direction. I love it that you you cornered this guy it's, it's, it, through passion and determination to make it happen. It was a bit of a cornering, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I brought value with me. I brought, he sure. was more of a tech guy, even though he'd built this exchange, and I was more of a finance guy. And the, and the, the digital asset markets exist at the nexus of the two. Yeah, it was a bit of a cornering. I brought value with me. He sure. was more of a tech guy, even though he'd built this exchange, and I was more of a finance guy. And the and the, the digital asset markets exist at the nexus of the two. So I bought something to him that he could use as well, and we created something new, and it's done relatively well. We're, we're pretty happy with it. It's achieved a few uh, Australian firsts. We were the first digital asset funds to be listed on any of the Australian wealth management platforms. Just more recently, we've had the Financial Planning Association sign off on us as, I guess, what you would call recognised or accredited education providers. So we can now go out to dealers, stockbrokers, financial advisors, planners, and we can provide officially recognised continuing professional development, which is something that they need to do on a yearly basis to maintain their licensing. It's been really successful. It's been tough, but I've I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it. The the markets are absolutely wild, extremely volatile. The early part was tricky with lawyers. No one really knew where these kind of assets sat. So it was difficult getting the legal work done. And but we just we went through one piece at a time and we put the thing together and we had a fund up and trading within I think it was about five months. And we've since launched a second fund. Yeah, we've got big plans for it. And we're certainly in a good spot in terms of the infrastructure around the business at the moment. We just need Bitcoin to start playing ball a little bit and start to move north because it's still a fair way below its all-time highs of 2017 at the moment. Amazing. 
My final couple of questions, Matt. I know that you have uh, a son, right? You have children. I do have a son. Yes, Curran. He's seven, uh, sorry, sixteen months. So I'm always fascinated by what people would advise their own children, uh, given their life experience, and particularly with regard to choosing a career or what they would like to do in life. What would you advise your son, Curran? in terms of how he decides what to do for his career? Mm. Uh, look, for, uh, I've got a very clear answer for this one. My son is going to know that he can choose anything, anything he wants, but he is also going to be very much aware that regardless of what you choose, if you want to operate at a high or at the highest level, you're just going to have to do the work. There's a, just a direct link between doing the work and getting the results. And it's okay to say to kids, oh, you can do and be anything and in this offhanded manner, that's not how I'm going to approach it with Curran. I'm going to, I'm going to be very direct with him and say, you can do and be anything, but you have to realise that what you want will come at a price. And if you're willing to pay that price, you will get it. Because I wish nothing against my parents. My parents were fantastic parents and loving and all that sort of stuff. But they towed the, the same line as everyone else's parents when you're a kid. Oh, you can do whatever you want. You can do. But, you know, no one. Re- I didn't really know until I started to do it myself that there's actually a formula, a liable formula. It's not, oh, I want to be this and I hope I become this. It's... I want to be this and I'm going to do all of these things in order to be that. And it works. It's not a, people say dream big and and that's great, but plan big, work big because the formula actually works. And I really want that to be clear to my son when he, from a young age, like even as a, as soon as he, as soon as he can understand, I'm going to start sowing these seeds in his mind. And I think the other important thing is for him to to be okay with being human you've got to accept you've got to really accept that you're human i think people can get into into strife with their egos people don't want to say i don't know or people don't want to go out and fail people don't want to look silly people want to kid themselves that they're great at this and this when they may have a ton of holes in all of those things if you can be okay with not being perfect in other words being human you've got a very solid base from which you can build anything around because it allows you to go, I don't actually understand what you're saying. Can you explain that to me? And that's how you learn. If you sit there and you just ride through on your ego, oh, yeah, I get it, I get it, you go nowhere. So I think, yeah, there's a bit of value in really trying to decouple yourself a little bit from your ego or maybe a better way of put it is is just allowing yourself to be human without shame and to not be afraid to fail and to not be afraid to to say, I don't know, and to not be afraid to put your hand up and go, hey, I did the wrong thing there. I'm sorry. That's seriously good advice and, and not just advice from personal development textbooks or any of that kind of stuff. It's real lived advice. You've lived it. You've learned it. That really oh, means a lot. Yeah. Final question, Matt. I call people that live with passion and purpose and that have achieved some sort of balance in their life to burn from within something that lights you up inside and fuels you to do what you care about and i certainly see you as a shining example of that 
What do you think is the one thing that's made the difference for you, Matt, to burn from within? That's a very good question. I don't know, but I like the fact that you, in that question, you used two words out of a song lyric that I really like. You used burn and shine, and there's a very good Ben Lee song. I can't remember the name of the song, but there's a, there's a lyric in it that says, you've got to burn to shine. And I always remind myself of that in tough times. If I'm swimming in the, in the middle of the bay in the middle of winter and it's freezing cold and I'm just miserable, you've got to burn to shine, baby. That's it. You've just got to, you've got to suffer to shine. You've got to suffer to, to get ahead. So I, I like the question. Let me think. I think it's probably self-belief. Like even, I think even when I lost my way in my 20s, I think I had a really strong family behind me and I was given an enormous amount of self-belief and I had some success in sport and school and all that sort of stuff when I was younger, which also solidified that self-belief. But I had I was given self-belief that was still a lot that burnt through the dark through my darkest times in Sydney and with drugs and basically being homeless. And it was always there, even though it was very much hidden, but it just took for me to turn back towards it and go, hey, actually, I'm better than this and I can do a lot better than this and I can achieve great things in my life and I'm as good and as smart and as quick and as fancy as anyone else and I believe in myself and I'm not going to sit on the side and watch life pass me by. I'm going to be one of those people that I look at and go, wow, I wonder what makes them tick. You know what I mean? Totally. I very much relate to that. What a beautiful way to, to end uh, the conversation. And I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing, being so candid and, and really uh, allowing us to get into your mind and, your, and sharing your life because it's, there's some real wisdom that you've shared today. It, couple of my highlights is going to that thought that you are going to die and going to it regularly when you need it and that's a fuel that's really propelled you and, and it's made me really think about my own life and and how that could make such a big difference to other people's lives as well and that's the phrase at burn to shine i think that's burned in my mind now and i love yeah. it and it it, it, yeah, it I, I love that one i love that lyric yeah it really think, makes a lot of doesn't it yeah and i think some of the most successful people in the world i, I watched a, an interview conor mcgregor did with tony robbins recently and he said the, the one of the biggest reasons for his success was he, he just had an insane work ethic and he just battled through like the hardest things but yep. that's why he was just he was burning and now he's shining and, and it's and that giving those principles to your son curran i think a lot of kids miss out on that actually and you're right it's you can dream big but if you don't have a, a plan and you haven't had this great work ethic instilled in you or you don't learn it yourself then then it can mean nothing so that's seriously sage advice so thank you you're quite welcome it's been fun awesome wow every person i interview on this show has a story to tell and at some level, you can relate to every single one of these stories. You see, it's not so much the content of what was discussed, but we as humans all share similar struggles of low points in life, 
life decisions, career development, successes, and challenges along the way. So let me know what you took away from this story or any of the 15 stories we've shared so far with career changers who are now burning from within. Email me on matt, M-A-T-T, at burnfromwithin.com. You can add me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Garrow Fisher. That's spelled G-A-R-R-O-W hyphen Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R. The only one in the world, I believe. And if you want to start getting some clarity on what to do next with your life, as a certified career transition coach and neuro-linguistic programming trainer, you can have a free 20-minute consultation with me to find out what's the best action step you can take next. Just go to burnfromwithin.com forward slash call C-A-L-L for that next step in your journey to burn from within. Check out my calendar there and find a time that works for you. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.